Welcome to Sing, Coach, Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers. By the world's standards, Randy Gist has made it big in the music business. He's a professional composer, producer, saxophonist, sound designer, orchestrator, and DJ who has performed with celebrity artists like the Jonas Brothers, John Legend, Kesha, Aloe Black, and Jamie Foxx. Randy was featured on the Fox hit TV show Glee and The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. His DJing gigs include the world premiere of Disney's live-action Aladdin, live-action Lion King, and Toy Story 4. But what does all the success mean? In this episode, Randy provides a raw and unconventional perspective on how anyone can achieve success and happiness by letting go of ego and, instead, letting curiosity lead the way. I'm very excited to share this episode with you. Randy Gist, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I want to know, who are you? What is the story of your artistic journey? Uh, yeah, so, uh, I'm originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and if you're familiar, more specifically Kentwood, I have an older brother who is a saxophonist. He's older than me by about 15 years, and so that's kind of where at least my musical journey kind of started. My parents uh, aren't musicians, but they always listen to a lot of music in the house. Uh, my sister was in band. Uh, my, my next brother up um, is also a great musician. He's got perfect pitch and plays a whole bunch of stuff, which I was not blessed with said gifts. But yeah, I, I always try and tell people like, I wasn't a prodigious musician. I'll get to that. But my brother's a saxophone player. So one day when I was pretty young, I got to go to a bar illegally, but I went to a bar and got to hear him play. Um, and I was like, is this what my brother does? Like, this is what he does for a living. I was like, I don't want to work some boring desk job. I want to do that. That looks like fun. Mm. So once middle school band came around, I was going to play saxophone. And it was funny because they made all the other kids play clarinet first, but they knew who my brother was. So like, no, just let him go. Like, let him just play saxophone. So I started and I was terrible. Like everyone, I was second or third chair all the way through ninth grade I think like I almost quit going into high school um I wasn't prodigious it was nothing like that I wasn't like super gifted I think my instincts were kind of maybe good but I definitely didn't have like some magical powers basically so like ninth grade happens I joined jazz band and I had done middle school jazz band but I'd never gotten to take like a proper like improvised solo before so I started kind of like, okay, let me try this out. Cause I heard this other kid do it. And I was like, I could do that. I was like, let me try. And then I sounded like trash. And then I was like, oh, well, guess I'm gonna have to figure that out. So then I went to uh, Jamie Abersold's summer workshop in Louisville, Kentucky. And that changed my life. What kept you going even when you sounded, you know, you didn't sound good. I guess that's just kind of it. Is it's not like, it wasn't really ever an ego thing too much it was just more of a curiosity like i'm just curious about things and so i just want to figure out how it works i just wanted to understand because i remember i started kind of making up my own music theory like by the time i got to college like i had to like 
unlearn some things that I had made up in my head because I was just like, well, I know that I'm in my ears, I'm hearing the right stuff. I know what I think sounds good, but I just didn't know how to replicate it. Or if I heard something, how can I play it back immediately without having to like fish around for notes? I just want to hear it and then do it. So I started like, okay, well, I played this. And then like, I remember I learned the blues and I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't hear four chords. Like when it goes to the full, like if you're in C and then it goes to F, I was like, that doesn't sound like, like if it's a, sorry, like a C7 to an F7. And now you've got that E flat on the F7. I was like, well, it's not, it's still in C. It's, it didn't go anywhere. It just sounds like C and then it sounds like C minor. And, and that's how I heard it. So I just heard everything relative to like one key and I got locked into like that way. So I would like learn songs with really complex chord progressions, but only be hearing the, the one chord the whole time and then just doing everything relative to this one chord not to go on a tangent about that but like the point is like I was just trying to figure it out on my own because I was curious and it was frustrating to me so I think it's almost like the inverse like yeah I sounded bad and I didn't like that and it was frustrating where does this um the lack of ego come from because ego has never really been your thing. Like having an ego, it, you love the music, like you talk about curiosity, but where did you get that? Is that something that your family instilled in you? Or you just, you were born that way? Uh, tell us about uh, that. Mainly my parents, I think. And I think I just had a lot of really good examples from them of, there's just too many examples of people with an ego than getting the karma. You know what I mean? <laughs> like every time someone's got an ego, it blows up in their face. Like every time without question. And then all of a sudden, sure, humble people get crushed too. But it's funny that no one ever, uh, a humility just, it's easier. I don't know. It's easier. And it's, and it's on, it's honestly just more, it's honest. It's realistic. Like the ego thing is just, if you just take time to think about it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't do anything for you. It only gets you hurt. So I'm like, oh, well. I know that statistically speaking, like I'm, I'm one saxophone player on the planet, right? And there are literally millions of them in the world. So there's the potential for me to be the very best one is very small. And considering it's something subjective, it makes it now impossible. So it's like, it's like, so what good is that? And then realizing like, and this is kind of fast forwarding, but it's like, yeah, I, I went to school, uh, or I went to grad school at University of Miami, which I think is like probably in the top five music schools on the planet. Most of the people that, that go there are either prodigies or when they leave, they're going to change the world of music in their field. Like I, I did not feel like I should have been there. I didn't feel, you know, like I was good enough to be in a place like that. But I'm like, I'm hearing the person in the next room to me, you know, in the next practice room, play things that I will never dream of playing. 
And yet I've made an entire career playing the saxophone. So it's like, how good do you have to be? You only need to be good enough. And then after that, that's cool. Like go blow up the universe, do whatever you want. But like, I always think of it as like, if you got a cup and you fill that cup up with water, well, the cup is full. You can get another cup or you need a bigger cup. But if that cup is full, then it's full. And so it's like, okay, my cup, my saxophone cup was full enough for me to pay bills playing it. So you, so you talk about going to school in Miami and then talk to us from there. What got you to where you are now? I'm going to rewind a little mm -hmm. bit because this is actually another like massively important thing or concept, but like I'll start at like central Michigan even. Um, I haven't, yeah, central Michigan. I started there. I ended up transferring after two years um, to go to Western Michigan. And then I met a ton of my friends who I still work with now, which is crazy to me. Like, I even still keep up with a lot of my Central Michigan friends, right? So I went to Western Michigan. I met a lot of people there. And that's actually why I ended up going to Miami because one of my teachers got his doctorate there. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm just saying I established a lot of connections there. So I moved to Miami, finished grad school. And I think every single day of my grad school career, those two years, I would ask my professor, what am I going to do so that I don't starve to death? I think a lot of people get really like into the school thing, like the indoctrinated, like, oh, I'm in school for music and I'm learning all this hard, complex music and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Oh man, I'm getting really good at music. I'm really good at it. Okay, whatever. When do we eat? When do I pay bills? Because the thing is the bills keep coming. You know, I got the rent or the mortgage or the whatever. It keeps coming, but I keep getting better at music, but I'm still hungry. Why am I still getting $50 for a gig or $100 for a gig? Like, when 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 does this pay off, all this work, other than just the intrinsic, like, oh, I get warm fuzzies from music and it's nice to be in a career that's fun, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'd ask him every day, what am I going to do? And unfortunately, the answer he gave me was, you'll figure it out. But the point, and it, and it does also create a, re a really good point, is that he he made us learn everything, right? So when I was in Miami, I was getting my master's degree in composing. It was called Studio Jazz Writing. But we had to learn how to run a studio. So we're mixing, we're tracking live bands and orchestras. Um, we're doing sessions for other people like once or twice a week. We had a project where we have to do what's called the recording ensemble. So we'd meet. You have to bring in a piece and you've got three hours to, to set it up and record it. And then afterwards you have to mix it uh, yourself and then, you know, put it out. It was a requirement that when you graduate that you have a, a website. It was a requirement that you learn how we had to run cameras and also video edit for the YouTube channel for the school. And then on top of that, learning how to orchestrate and write for any kind of ensemble and then learning, oh, you have to learn how to use Pro Tools and learn how to sequence music and do film scoring classes. Like you have to learn everything. You must know how to do everything a little bit. So when I left, he was right. I had all these skills now and I didn't know which direction I wanted to go. So when I got to LA, uh, I was sleeping on my roommate's couch for a long time until I could afford a bed. My approach was basically I would go out seven nights a week to jam sessions in town. Wherever there was music happening, I wanted to make sure that I was there um, and just be present. And then during the daytime, I would focus on composing. 
And so what happened was when I was in Miami, I was sending emails to this guy, Vagar, who is an alum of Miami, who is an incredible, like, I would say the best trailer music composer of all time. And I would listen to his stuff and be like, this is what I've been hearing in my head forever because I play a lot of video games. And like, when I watch movies, I would I'd forget the whole plot line because I was listening to the music the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, like, I just want to get that out. And so I would start, I started trying to make tracks that sounded like him. So then when I got to LA or before that, I kept emailing him like, Hey, why do my tracks suck? And he would say, no, like, this is good. Maybe try this, maybe try that. And then I was like, Hey, I think I'm moving to LA. I visited. He's like, yeah, just kind of keep going. Let me know when you get here. Then I finally get to LA and he's like, yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't have any work for you, but you know, keep going kid. So I just kept sending him tracks. I just kept saying, Hey, help me. Like, what, what do I need to do to make this better? And then eventually, because I was curious, I just wanted to understand. He's like, you know what? I got a a deal for you. He's like, I'm going to bring you on. I'm going to set you up with this other Miami alum who's a little bit older than me. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to set you up with him. And you two are going to write tracks together. And he's going to kind of show you the ropes. So that's how I, so this is only like a couple weeks into being in LA. So then I'd wake up 9 a.m., start writing, write until 5 p.m., it would usually end up going more to like 9 p.m. So I'd be writing for like 12 hours. Then I would go out to a jam session, be out till 2 a.m., wake up, do the same thing next day, and just do that every day for my first like almost a year. Did it ever occur to you that it wasn't going to work out or were you just determined this is what's going to happen and I'm going to make it happen? Uh, It was uh, – it's funny because I think, I think people operate on fear a lot. And I think the only difference between brave people and scared people, they're the same. They're both scared. They're just scared of opposite things. And I learned my lesson when I was at Central Michigan. I was, um, I went there with a backup plan. Central Michigan was my backup plan because my dream as a child wasn't to teach music. My dream was, oh man, I want to play. And it's like, I see guys on TV and that looks like fun, but I'd, I'd never be able to do that. That's too big or that's too... F- impossible or you'd have to be just so good i'd never be that good right so what i'll do is i'm gonna go to central michigan i'm gonna get an education degree so that i can teach elementary school music and then if i get lucky i'll do some gigs on the side if i'm good enough and then i went to central michigan and it could be any school obviously right but i go there and i get to the portion where you're gonna start doing student like observations or whatever so i'm like going to elementary schools now and i'm in there and i i went the first time and i was like Uh uh-oh, like, I'm going to accidentally pick up one of these children by their head and separate (laughs) it from their body. Like, I I can't, I can't do this. Like, I don't have, I don't have the skill or I don't have the, I don't know, the zhuzh, whatever it is that, that you need, the the gift that you have as an educator. Like, I think I'm an educator, but it's just different. Like, there's something I don't have for that, the heart. Um, And I realized this, this isn't going to work. And I got scared because then I was like, if I end up doing this, I'm not going to survive. So I like, where can I go? What do I do now? And I freaked out. And I think maybe a lot of my friends or people maybe remember that I kind of freaked out. It was like April. Yeah. Auditions are over. You know, it's April. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't be here anymore. I can't do this. I need to go somewhere so I can get what I need. Am I going to move to like Boston and go to Berkeley? No, that's too expensive. What am I going to do? And then I had all my friends 
at Western that were playing stuff that I was like, I can't do that. And I need to know how to do that, whatever it is they're doing. Like my best friend uh, went to Western. So I was like, I wonder if they'll take me. And I went and then they did. Trent Kinniston didn't have anyone. The saxophone professor didn't have anyone in my class that he had accepted that year. So it was good timing. So it all kind of worked out. But my point, sorry, is that I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm so scared of being unhappy. I'm so scared of doing something that I don't want to do that me going a hundred percent towards my dreams and goals is, is the backup plan. Like that's the safest thing I can do. That's the, there's nothing more safe than that. Yeah. Than it's to go for what I'm, what I'm interested in because I'm going to be good at it because I'm excited about it and I'm going to be enthusiastic about it. And I'll be able to, I'm not going to be date. Like when I'm making music or something, I'm not daydreaming about, man, I wish I was doing that nine to five office job. I'm like, no, I'm fully invested in what I'm doing. I, I'm enjoying myself and I'm going to be great at it. I don't have a choice because I'm going to keep doing it. I don't know how else to put it. Like you just do something enough. It's inevitable that you're going to make improvements. I just pick things that I like. And then if it works one time, like, oh, I did this thing and I got better. Like if you ever played Mario, it's like, cool. I beat the first level. Cool, I got to the second level. Great. Oh man, I keep getting stuck on the second level. Eventually you get past it. Okay, like, so if you can do it in a video game, then why can't I do it everywhere else with things? Like, if the video game was fun and you solved problems, then why can't I just apply that to anything that I want? The other thing I didn't mention, I'm also a martial artist. Like, I do martial arts all the time. I'm a proficient martial artist in several martial arts disciplines, but it's because I just pick things that are fun. And that's really the secret It's just like, oh, if you constantly pick things that are fun to do, then you'll get addicted to them and then you'll do fun things and then you get good at them. And then people will be like, oh, can I pay you to do that fun thing? And I'm like, you absolutely can. Right. <laughs> Where do you think people get stuck? It would be wonderful if every person on the planet felt exactly the same way. It's almost like you are able to remove a bit of the emotion that goes with failing at something or, you know, it does, something doesn't go the way you want. Yeah, people get stuck on their journey to wanting to do something. Do they not want it bad enough? Do they not want the right thing? Like, do they want something that's not really their thing, but they think it's what somebody else wants for them? That is, it's kind of all of that. Like, I think, I think one people get stuck, ego, but that's easy to say. But like, what does that mean? And I'm like, it's kind of everywhere. It's like, yeah, like ego's good. Like you need to have a relationship with your ego. You don't want to kill it because it gets you things done. Like I like feeling good about myself. I like having self-confidence. Like I don't always have it, but when I need it, it's there. I think that's important. I think that people get stuck because yeah, they care too much about what other people think about their lives. Like, what do I care what anybody thinks about my life? Like when I'm at home with my wife or by myself and my own thoughts, like I have to live with myself. Like, let's say you think what I do is cheesy or boring or whatever. That's fine. Then that's why you don't do it. That's why I do it. Like, if I was even like, yeah, you know, I like all the things I said about being an educator. It's like, that. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun to me. But if it sounds fun to you, then who cares what I think? It's fun to you. I like it. Or like, better yet, like food. It's like, oh man, do you like broccoli? No. Ugh. Well, I do. Okay, then eat it. That's why you ordered the plate you ordered and I ordered the plate I ordered. That's a, It's okay. One big reason that I think people get stuck is they're too busy worrying about what someone else is doing or what they think about what they're doing. And I'm like, truthfully, I don't think anyone spends much time thinking about other people that much. It's like, am I just sitting around thinking about 
your life? It's like, no, I was thinking about mine. Maybe in passing, I might be like, oh yeah, what she does is boring. Anyway, what do you want to eat? I'm not thinking about you all day. <laughs> and and I don't think anybody is, but what we all have a tendency to do is think about what other people may be thinking, which is completely fabricated and not real. Now you're just sitting there making stuff up about what other people are making up about you. That's insane. I'm really glad that you got into that because that was actually one of my questions. You have all these amazing motivational videos and um, and I've watched all of them now and I just, there's so much great wisdom and it, and also they're so entertaining. Like I would encourage every single person to go watch your videos. Um, if I were still teaching in the public school system, if there was one video that I could show my students, it would be the don't judge your own work people get in their own heads and and not only is there the struggle of not judging your own work but there's the struggle of then worrying about what other people think about your work or right. what other people might potentially be thinking about your work but you're making that up because you don't even really know uh i think with results like i think well i'll put it this way i yeah i, I think it's the results like okay so i'll just ask you like flat out it'll be like it's like, okay, let's say I think your podcast sucks, right? And then you say, uh, and then you say, you were on it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But it's like, it's like, what difference does it make that I even said that? Does it, does it stop you from doing it? Does it stop everyone else on the planet from absolutely loving it? And why are you doing it? Are you doing it to please me just so that I like it? Or are you doing it because it's something that you enjoy doing? And, And it really just, to me, has more to do with like what what are your motivations and what are your intentions for why you're doing something because most of the time it's not even that any answer that you give is right or wrong it's not that there's a right or wrong it's that what was your intention and are you aware and conscientious of what you're doing do i love every single gig that i do no i do wedding gigs all the time and sometimes they're fun and sometimes i hate them but i'm conscientious of the choice that i'm making i am making a trade I'm trading my time to do this thing that I don't want to do that much because it affords me significantly more time to do other things. So to get a very specific example, I have a lot of friends who moved to New York and they're chasing that jazz dream, right? And that's cool. Like some of them are very successfully doing that and have good lives and they're happy. That's great. If I if I just pursued playing a certain style of music, we'll say, and I was like, okay, I could make $50 to $100 a gig and I could work, but I could work, you know, five nights a week doing that, right? Or I could take one gig once a week that I don't love. I can get through it and I can sometimes have fun. I'll make that sacrifice knowing that I'm going to make four or five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for a gig and then have my whole week now free to do whatever I want. Some people would say, oh, did you sell out? Maybe. I don't know. I think I just made a trade. Because I'm like, now I have more free time to do anything, anything that I'm interested in because I made this trade-off. The other thing too, back on the um, the fear thing about not pursuing the thing you love, because I do a lot of different things, and this is why I often encourage people to do as many things as possible, is that I think people want job security because they're scared too. Like if you pursue your dreams, what are you going to do if that if that dream doesn't work out? And I'm like, for, for, those, of us, for those of us that are fully physically able because i'm not trying to be ableist when you take a step with your left foot do you freak out what if that left foot doesn't work 
Well, guess what? You have a right foot. And you have two hands. And you got shoulders. You got stuff like if you fall down, you're going to be okay. But you always think, oh, I got another foot. I got another foot. I got another hand. I got something else, right? What if tomorrow I get hit in the face with a brick and my saxophone career is over? I don't care. I'll take photos. I'll produce music with my hands. I don't need my face anymore. I will do commercial acting. I'll do background on a show. I'll learn to cook. I'll learn to read in front of children. I'll, like, I'll learn another language and become a translator. What job security do I need? I have more job security than anyone because I have a table with 9,000 legs. You know what I mean? So cut off some legs. Cut off 30 legs. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know? And so you create your own sense of leverage which then gives you more peace of mind because, and it's not, again, it's got no ego attached. It's not that I'm great at anything. It's that I have the ability to learn and I can change my mind whenever I want. That's like, and I I mentioned to you, you know, before we started this, like my YouTube channel, a lot of people are like, man, why'd you stop making videos? And it's like, maybe it's not, why did I stop? It's that I did what I wanted to do with it. And I may continue should I want to, but I got into photography and now I like doing that and I'm allowed to change my mind whenever I want. It's my <laughs> life. You know, and maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I love that. And well, and people just doing things because they enjoy them and then having that maybe turn into something. And, and oh, you say so many amazing things. And so one of the things that you said was about don't assume what your future is going to be like. We get so caught up in what is this going to be, right? So, oh, I'm doing this podcast. Is it going to be successful? Is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? I did it because I wanted to do it and because I wanted to learn and I wanted to connect with awesome people like you. And why are you worrying about what it's going to lead to? Because you can't control that at all, you know? Have you, have you seen The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. <laughs> that That's the funny thing about so many movies is I think people watch them and they don't get it at all. They like missed the whole point. And that movie's got so many good ones. But mm-hmm. in particular, you start, you're starting something, right? And what happens? They go on this epic quest. They make friends. They do, they do all these things. They keep doing things. And by the end, and, and the whole quest is about them feeling inadequate. Like, I can't do anything. I, I, I wish I had this, but I don't have this. And I need this, but I don't have it. And they're doing things and they're doing things. And then by the end... What's the most boring part of the movie? Is when they get there. They get to the wizard, and he sucks. It's just some dude. It's just some dude behind a wall. He's not interesting. He doesn't have any... I mean, he's wise, but he actually doesn't have any sort of exceptional wisdom or anything. He's just a dude. And that's the point, is that everyone's capable. Everyone has everything they need. And the most interesting parts of the movie were when they were doing things. Because then they finally got to the end and they realized, like, we did all this for nothing. Their goals, they had the wrong, I, I won't say wrong, but they, were un, they weren't conscientious of the goals or, or of what they, they were, were doing. doing them while they yes. were just doing. They were just there. And they were achieving all the things they wanted and all that they needed without even realizing they were doing it. Right. And so the thing is, when people set out goals, this is where it gets scary or like off to me is that people will set goals. If my goal is to impress you, then all of a sudden I start doing things that I don't want to do. I start doing things that make me unhappy, that lower my quality of life, that take me down a road 
that's going to ultimately lead me to another wizard that's going to have nothing for me. And it's going to tell me, oh, like, okay, we're here. Was it everything you wanted it to be? Like, all right, I'm impressed. Now what? I, I say this about a lot of my friends who are like touring musicians. And it's like, like people look at my resume and they see a lot of stuff. And that's cool. A lot of my friends have, like, they might go on tour with an artist. And it might be like one artist. And they're, and they're like on TV all the time. Like, sometimes I get like a little bit of FOMO. Like, man, because I, I don't tour anymore. I will not do it. Because no one has enough money to own me for 24 hours a day for an extended period of time. If you're going to come with it, you're going to have to really pay me a lot to take me away from my wife. You're on TV every day and you're on these big events and your Instagram is blowing up because you're doing all this. And I'm like, okay, are you still in an apartment? Now, if that's fine with you, if that's what you want, then cool. But I know that for a lot of them, that isn't what they want because they're like, you know, because they see what I'm doing. Like, oh man, you know, you got a house. Like, I want to do what you're doing. Like, I'm like, do you? Are you willing to give up that other thing, that other dream, that thing where you have to impress these other wizards? You know what I mean? (laughs) Or because what I decided was like, that's cool. And I've had that experience. I know what that's about. But then I was like, well, I respect my own time. I respect my relationship with my wife. I respect myself. And I'm like, what do I want? Because I don't want to go out on the and spend the rest of my life just building someone else's career. What about my dreams? What about what about me? You know, my ego. What about that? You know, and it's like, okay, well, here's what I actually want. I want to be happy. I want to eat healthy food. I want to go to bed when I want to go to bed. I want to wake up when I want to wake up. I want to do, I want to wake up every day and do whatever I want and have people pay me to be myself. Mm-hmm. And so what's really going to take you in that direction? Is it putting on the newest, coolest clothes so I can fit in all the time with everything? Like, yeah, I get it. Play the game, be good at the game. But is it, am I doing this again? Am I playing this game? Is it, is it actually benefiting me? Is it actually elevating myself? Does, am I getting results from what I'm putting out? And I think like, oh, cool. You got more Instagram followers. Okay. How much money has that put in your hand? Oh, none. Okay. When does it lead to you getting more money? Maybe indirectly. Cool. But if it's not, then what are we doing? You're wasting your time. Do something else. Try something else. Take that risk. It sounds like you're talking a lot about a uh, purpose and your values, what you value and what you're willing to, what you're putting as priority, right? Yeah. So you seem pretty in touch with that because you know what you want. Do you think that there's a maybe a lack of people understanding what they really want, like, or what they value or what the purpose is? Is that, is that a fault of society? Is that just human beings in general? Like, why do we, why are we lost? Why are we so lost? You don't seem very lost. You're very unique. Your approach to life is not the norm. And so it's one of the reasons why I asked you to be on this show is because I want other people to learn from you. I want people to learn how to be happier because I feel like you you kind of have a, you may not know everything. You know, you don't have the whole world figured out. And I think you're pretty, you know, you're honest about that. But also we keep making that like happiness and all this stuff, this like mystical type thing that we'll never, we can't find, we can't achieve it. And you seem to take all of this stuff, pursuing your dreams, like reaching these huge goals and you make it practical. You're like, well, this is what you need to do. It's not this big emotional up and down. I, I don't know. Am I reading that right? Y- yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to put it, but I, I had goals, but I don't feel like I had I don't feel like I had goals. Like I do. I, I it's like a day to day thing. And I think, you know what? This is what it was. Uh Central Michigan like busted me in the face. I remember when I first got to Central Michigan, like I said, like I had this plan. 
I had this backup plan. I had this whole thing laid out. I was like, I'm going to go to school for five years. I'm going to get my degree. Then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. Then it all fell apart in like a year and a half. I was like, I hate everything that I'm doing right now. Like I need to do anything else. And so I made a rule for myself that I wouldn't plan further than two years in the future. I wouldn't even attempt it. Then digging into martial arts a lot deeper and getting punched in the face, I think, is something that everyone needs to do because it teaches you so much. Like I love the thing I love about I don't I don't like sports. I'm like not a big sports guy. But the thing that I do like about sports is there is a certain element of objectivity to it where arts like music and things are generally very subjective, like it's all fair game. But in sports, there's a certain objective like did you win or did you lose? Again, those are like judgments, right? Just being aware of it. But yeah, did you win or did you lose? Did you did you score the point or did you not score the point? It's like almost like like that element of it made me realize like I can't even think a minute ahead in the future. Because even that's made up. I don't know what's happening a minute from now. A bomb could drop on my house. I could win the lottery that I didn't even put in a ticket for. Like anything could happen in the next minute. And you always just have to sit there and wait for it to happen. And then you're like, oh, let me observe. Let me listen. Like, let me listen more than I speak as I'm talking my face off. Let me be open and take in what's happening so I can process it and then make decisions based on what I've processed. You know what I mean? I forgot what your original question was. <laughs> That's all right. It's just about how you take all this stuff that seems overwhelming and people feeling lost. And again, maybe I'm just speaking from my own perspective, but in just talking to people, I, I do think that there is kind of an, an epidemic of of people trying to find themselves or getting lost in, you talked about social media and things like that. And, and like, what, what do I do with my life and how do I be happy? And, and it's almost like, they're just like, don't know where to hold, what to hold on to. And, but they, and how, but they know, yeah. I think you already know. I think everybody already knows. And the thing is, what's frustrating. It drives me crazy. Actually. It's almost like as annoying as like, uh, Oh, there's a guitar pick in my hand. And I'm like, where's my guitar pick? And you're like, it's in your hand. And you're like, yeah, but where is it? And I'm like, well, it's in your hand. Like you're holding it. I can't find it. And it's like, okay, well, you're just, you're not listening. And that's the point is like, like if I was like, what do you want to do with your life? And then somebody answers it. And the answer is what you're doing. You're already doing it. Cause if you didn't want to do it, you probably wouldn't be doing it for the most part. So it's like on your day off, like, what did you do? Well, I sat around all day. Okay. I guess that's what you wanted to do. And then it's like, oh, well, I played video games. I watch TV. Some people go get drunk. I don't drink, but some people do. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you should open a brewery. Maybe you should become a wine connoisseur. Maybe you should do what Gary, uh, Gary V does and sell wine or whatever. Like, I, I think people are lying to themselves about what when they say, I don't know what makes me happy. It's like, yes, you do. You're just not listening or you're not like being honest with yourself about what you like. It's almost like when people in the LGBTQ plus community come out, all they've done is they became honest about what they like. Oh, I like this. Okay. I almost want to invite everyone on the planet to come out of the closet on what makes you happy. Oh, what do you really want? Well, truthfully, like I always wanted to play tennis. Well, why don't you go pick up a racket? And then they don't. Are you sure you want to play tennis? Why? Why aren't they picking up the racket? Well, there's one of two things. Either you don't want to, and you're just saying that you want to play tennis because you know a bunch of people who play tennis, or you want to look like you're playing tennis because it's impressive to your peers or, or your parents or somebody, right? Or 
you don't pick up the racket because you're scared or you keep naysaying yourself. And now, right, this is the part where the opposite approach that I take to most things really like hits is because I've had enough experiences where I have a gut feeling about something or I know what I want. And then someone else tells me, nah, you shouldn't do that or you, it'd be too hard or you can't or they give me all these reasons why it's impossible. And then I'm like, oh, you're one less person in my way because I know you'll never do it. That people think like, man, how'd you do this thing? And I was like, literally, it's like if there's a, a hat or a bucket and it's full of money and it says, take, take one. Like it's a, it's a million dollar bill. Take one. I literally, like, how did you do it? I reached into the bucket with my hand and I grabbed it and then I pulled it out. And they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, nobody else did it because they were all too scared about what would happen if they got too close to the bucket. If I go if I go up to the bucket, maybe somebody will tackle me. Maybe a bear will jump out of the sky and bite my face off. Maybe a hole will open up in the ground. There's a trap. There's no way it could be that easy. But maybe it could. Let me try. You said um while you were busy worrying, someone else was taking the time to make progress and get more work done. And I wrote ugh after that cuz I was writing down that quote from one of your videos. And it was like, oh, we're sitting here just like thinking about what we were thinking, 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 thinking. And there are people just doing, just do. And even if it doesn't go super well, I mean, I was worried today, is the equipment going to work? Is this, I've never done this. Um, is this or whatever? Well, but we're just going to do it, right? We're just going to do it and we're going to learn. You said, uh, if you give 100%, you can't lose because you're either winning or learning. And I've got to know this, Randy. Tell me about a time when you gave 100% and you learned. I was like, every, every day. Like, I don't know how to, I know, I know people like to like have like an event and I'll try and think of one. But if I'm being super honest, it's literally like every time I take a breath, every time I take a step, every time I do anything, because truthfully, nothing's perfect. There are no straight lines in nature. Nothing is like all that stuff's made up. That's stuff we use to communicate, but doesn't actually exist. But it's just a, an approximation, right? So nothing's perfect. You're always failing to do what you think you're doing because we can't, no one's that accurate, you know? So do you see, you say every day, every breath, like there's all this, these things that we're learning because we're not winning because we're, we're not successful right away. So do you see, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but you know, you have a major gig, right? You have a big gig with a major artist. I mean, have you ever experienced failure in that situation or had something really bad happen? And do you see that as being equal to these other moments, these everyday moments you're talking about? Yes. Um, yes and yes. Uh, I have not publicly said this, but I did a gig with Kesha at the iHeartRadio Music Awards. It was televised, it was live, and we had this song we're playing, it was really easy. The horn parts were super easy, and we're playing, and my friend kept going over the part over and over and over again. I was like, man, he went over this like a million times, he's still going over it. I was like, it's easy, like, we got it, we got it, we already, we got it. Like, And I felt confident, like, I got it. And then, camera's up, lights are on, we're going. And we're playing it, and we get to this one part, and I had, and there's choreo too, so we're moving around, and... There's just one note where I was like, is it a half step or a whole step? I couldn't remember in that one split second. And I believe 
it was a whole step and I played a half step. I can't remember now, but I played, it was wrong and it kind of stuck out. And I, no one in, in the universe would know or care, but the MD, I think he knew he didn't say anything. I haven't worked with her since, but I don't think any of us did. She's probably not using horns for that stuff anymore. I have no idea, but it's, it ate at me. Cause I was like, it was so easy and I messed it up. It's like, yeah, I messed up this really easy thing and I felt like, yeah, I failed. It's like, so what did you learn? And it's like, well, something that a friend at Western taught me, Evan Conroy, he's a trombonist. And he says, I never assume that I can play anything. If I have to play Mary Had a Little Lamb for a gig, I'm going to practice it. I'm going to practice it a lot because I, cause you just never know. And he's right. And I had forgotten that for that moment. Um, and it wasn't like a massive failure. It didn't sink my career because I don't believe that anything can. Um, but yeah, I was just like, oh, yep. Take the L on that one and just learn. Like I wasn't, I'm not upset about it. Like it's okay. Like no one's dying from the decisions that I'm making. If I was a brain surgeon, maybe I'd feel differently about a lot of this. Like I'm not cutting people's heads open. No one's life is like dependent upon, I'm just, it's just music. Like, I think that's another thing. People take their stuff too seriously. Like, well, how important is the ego thing? Like how important do you think what you do actually is? Like, oh, I'm first chair in my school. Well, what is your school? Your school sucks. Or like, or you're, or it's nobody. Or like, it's like, or it's the best school in the world. But yeah, but we don't even like that kind of music. Like, you're never going to make everyone happy. Like, all, again, all this stuff's just made up. Like, what are we, what are we even doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so you have to do what makes you happy. I, I mean, I've always thought like in the choral world, right? It's like a, a rat race as far as, and I'm not just talking about the choral world. Um, you can start feeling like you have to climb this ladder and it's endless. But I always think in the choral world, you're not John Rutter. You're not Eric Whitaker. So be the best that you can be on your journey or what's meant for you. And you do talk about this in one of your videos. Why would you try to be somebody else? Because you're at best going to be second best because yeah. you can't be that person. All of that. It's just so good. I just appreciate you so much. I just love Thank you. I, I love the things you say and um and you're so motivational and um so I I do and again I want to respect your time, but I'm hoping you give me Okay, cool. You talk about uh diversifying skills, right? Mm -hmm. And and you kind of touched on this already. So get out there, learn stuff, have things you're able to do. What would you recommend to people that they, skills that they could develop or should look at if they're interested, of course, right? If it's something that they like, what are things that you found to be really valuable? Because you also talk about timeless value. You use that phrase in one of your videos, like create something that is timeless value. What things should I look at? It's not that you can't do things that are opposite one another, but I'm always trying to connect the dots. So like people, for example, I learned photography over the pandemic and I went from knowing nothing about photography to now being a professional photographer in less than a year. And people and like my photos are like on par with people who have been doing it for 10 years from other people telling me that and from my own observation. People are like, man, how did you learn that so fast or how did you do it? And there's a couple things. One, I didn't learn it fast per se. Um, I'll come back to that. But it's like, it, there were a lot of things I already knew. Like light waves, sound waves, they're both waves. They both behave the same way. So the way that sound bounces off of things acoustically, 
light behaves the same way. You just sent, you pick it up with a different sensor, your eyeballs versus your ears. The way we edit photos and video and the way we edit music is the same. Well, I've already spent a lot of time learning how to edit music. So when I got to photo and I'm already very familiar with computers, like I built a computer in high school, like I learned how to build computers. I built a computer in grad school, like a PC. And then I have them all integrated now and it's like, whatever, but it's like, it's like all that information again, just builds and, and cross pollinates with one, with one another. So it's like, let's say I want to become a tennis player, for example, I want to learn how to play tennis. Okay. Well, after that, I'd be like, once I start getting into it, I would learn hockey and I would learn baseball and I would learn racquetball and I would learn anything where I'm taking a stick and hitting a small object if I want to be better at tennis because I've learned all the other things. Well, what else do you do in tennis? Well, you run. Well, then I'm going to be on a track and maybe I'm going to start running, but you're going to do like side shuffles. Then maybe I'm going to learn fencing. Let me learn fencing because I do those kind of movements a lot in tennis also. So you're going to be running for like sideways, but forward and backwards. And it's like, okay, well, what else is there? Maybe I'm going to do some weightlifting. Maybe I'll take Tai Chi so I can learn how to be more efficient and be soft with my hands. What else do you got? Like, it's pretty endless. Maybe I'll take a physics class. Yeah. Makes sense. Talk to me about practicing because in any of these things you mentioned, you have to put time into them. And I have heard this and I wonder if you've heard it as well. I don't know how to practice. How do you practice efficiently? How do I, how do you practice effectively? I thought I was doing the wrong thing the whole time. Like I thought literally, I thought I <laughs> practice is funny. Cause I had friends who I thought were such good practicers. And I thought, I really thought I was doing it wrong and everyone else was doing it right. So I had a career and then now I look back on it. And I was like, well, I did something correctly. I don't know what I, well, I, I do know what I did correctly. Um, and it's a double-edged sword. Like I, I could use more of what some of my peers did, but in terms of practicing for me personally, it's not different than anything else I've said thus far. It it's be happy. Right? So what I did was, and what I'm bad at is a teacher would give me an assignment. They'd say, okay, learn all your major scales with a metronome, blah, 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 blah. And what would end up happening is I'd start practicing my major scales and then I find something. I'd be like, do, do, do. like whatever. And I would start finding melodies and harmonies and finding out like, oh shoot, you know, like, man, C major sounds really great over F or over G. Like, oh, these things are related. How are they related? Oh, modes, we're talking about modes. Okay, well, how do they cross pollinate? Oh, wow, the major seven of C is the sharp 11 of F. That's incredible. It sounds really pretty when you do that. Oh, shoot, but that sharp 11 of F is actually the nine of A minor. Oh, shoot, I didn't even think about that. Look, so this is just B. Well, now we're just talking about one note, but all of a sudden, what happened to your scales, dude? You stopped practicing scales. What are you, where are you at? And I noticed, like, I'd never finish an assignment because I'd always end up creating my own assignments or creating my own, like, I'd find it, but that was the point. And I think, again, people have it backwards is they're practicing things so that they could practice the assignment so that they, I completed the task. But what was your goal? I want to be a good musician. Do you want to be a good practicer or do you want to be a good musician? My goal was always I want to play music. When does it become music? When do, when, when do I start getting to express the thing? So then I realized, like, no, I'm just going to practice playing. I want to practice the thing. And then if I notice there's something I want to play that I can't, 
so it, it kind of starts out like that. Maybe that's an approach. It's like, okay, okay, you want to play? Great. So let's start out. Let's play a song. And you start playing and you suck. Oh, no. Or maybe part of it's good. And then you suck. You find that part where you're not killing the game. And then you go back and you say, okay, what did I do wrong here? And then you start dissecting that spot. And like, well, here's what's not happening. If I could just do that, then I could do this. Then you do that. And now all of a sudden you can play the song. And so it's like, well, so yes, practicing scales and things like that can save you a lot of time because then you can start saying, oh, I heard this song on the radio, but it was just a major scale, but they put a skip in it here. Oh, cool. I can play that. I can sing that. I can do that because I know what it is. That That's the first part, just conceptually. Now, in terms of time and how I practice, this is where it's going to get tough for people. But like when I was in grad, or sorry, when I was in undergrad, I would, it's still at Central, actually, I would do at least five hours a day, not including my ensembles, like five hours on my own. On the weekends, I would do eight hours minimum on my own of practicing. When I got to Western Michigan, I think it, it bumped up a little more, but, but then I was playing gigs and doing ensembles. Pra yeah, and then practicing like with your friends and rehearsals or whatever. So it's like, but I would still get in about eight hours a day. Like I, the, the music school would close at like midnight and I would still be there by myself until like 2 a.m. Like I would hide and wait till the lights cut out and the security left. And then I'd practice for another two, three hours. And then I wake up at nine, go to class and do it all over again. So when I was learning photography, because I want to start with something I know nothing about, right? It's like, well, yeah, but you were already good at music by then. Mm. But well, I didn't know anything about photography. So I literally started out, I take a picture and I'm like, this sucks. Is it my camera? So then I'd spend maybe 12 hours that first day and then every day after until I get my answer on Google. Best cameras for, for shooting head, uh, portraits. Best cameras. Oh, I looked at 50 articles and they all said, Okay, Canon, Fuji, Sony, these are the brands I saw the most. Okay, cool. Sony versus Canon. Sony versus Fuji. Sony, okay, Canon versus... Okay, I watched 12 hours. That's my day today. Okay, next. Okay, Canon versus Sony. 12 hours a day. And I'm just watching every YouTube video. Watching every single thing that exists on the internet. Oh, okay, I, uh, I like them both. I chose Canon. My wife already had it. Okay, cool. I went in that direction. But that's like... That happened over like several weeks of just Googling it all day. But the thing is, if you listen to what I said, you're probably thinking, oh, well, all he got out of that was now he picked a camera. Untrue. I learned about ISO. I learned about aperture because as they're explaining these cameras, I'm learning all this new vocabulary about photography and video and how that stuff works. So now in between that, I'm like, well, he said ISO, but I don't know what that is. Well, let me look it up. So now, oh, in there, there's a break of an entire day where I'm like, what is ISO? And I watched a thousand videos on what is an ISO? What does that mean? Okay, now I know what ISO is. What's aperture? Same thing. And all of a sudden, but it's like an OCD obsession. Like, I can't stop myself because I put something in front of myself. It's like, like I said, uh, it's like putting like cake in front of yourself. Or like think of the, the one food like that if you put it in front of yourself, you can't stop yourself from eating it. I just keep putting food in front of myself that's like that. And if it doesn't taste that good to me, I'm not going to do it. But if it's something I just, I'm like, I have to eat this. And I just keep finding things that I love like that. Yeah, again, like, how did you learn it so fast? Or how are you so dedicated? And people think I'm disciplined. I'm not disciplined. It's the opposite. I have no discipline whatsoever. So I take advantage of myself by putting <laughs> myself, I put things that I can't be disciplined with in front of myself. Because discipline to me is doing something you don't want to do and being good at that. 
That's not efficient. With the lives we have now, with our jobs and our families, what would you um, suggest time management wise for achieving goals, for achieving your dreams? How do you, what are some practical ways to manage time? When I was in grad school, I wanted to, I, I thought I needed to learn how to play flute and clarinet um, just as doubles because that's typical for saxophonists to do that. I wasn't great at them, but I was like, uh, this could be useful maybe. So, you know, just acquiring more skills, right? But my schedule got smashed because this degree was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I had my day blocked out 15 minute increments, like on paper. So for 15 minutes, you're going to eat. Then for 15 minutes, you have to read about this. Then 15 minutes, you know, okay, you've got a half an hour block that you have to apply to working on this piece of music you're writing. You have a rehearsal for this group. Here's half out, right? So my whole day was gone. I started out practicing flute and clarinet an hour a day. But by the by the end of grad school, I actually had to completely drop it. And it just was what it was. But there was a, a while in there where I was literally practicing for 10 minutes a day on flute, 10 minutes on clarinet. And then I didn't practice saxophone because I was playing it enough that I didn't need to maintain it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do 10 minutes a day. I'm, and all I could do was play my major scales in a couple keys. And then it's like, cool, tomorrow I'll do more. And I actually made more progress during that time than I had made ever, just doing 10 minutes a day consistently. And so consistency, um, because everything's muscle memory, everything's just about, it's not about whether or not you can do it. Like I can hand anyone on the planet a flute, take 15 minutes to get their mouth right, put their fingers in the right place and say, play a note. Oh, you did it. Cool. You can play that note. It's going to just like, that doesn't take time. It's how fast can you, can you just pick it up and play it? Oh, you're not a professional. Get it. I have to work your hand, set you up. Right? So the point is consistency is far more important than quantity per se mm -hmm. in that regard. It's like, mm -hmm. I need you to do it every day so that it's just like, this is just something that I do. If you've got kids, the other thing is, or if you have any sort of time issues, I say you're, I, I want to say like tactfully that you're not looking hard enough for time. In my 12 hours, it's like, if I'm on the toilet, I'm reading. I'm reading about whatever I'm interested in. I'm reading about hardware compressors and, and, and preamps and microphones. That's what I'm doing today when I'm on the toilet. Oh, you're in traffic and you shouldn't be on your phone. But when you get to where you're going and, oh, I'm here a little early. Get, get to places early because that's responsible. But get to places early and now you're sitting in the parking lot. I can read. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I'm reading. I'm learning something about that thing I want to be doing. Even if it's something, let's say it's not like, I'm just researching things. You know what I mean? But let's say like, you really want, like, we'll go back to tennis. I want to play tennis. I don't have time to pick up the racket and go play tennis. It's like, well, well, you do have time. If you have a racket in your house or in your apartment or a ball or anything, like if you can get somewhere where you can get five minutes to hold the racket and just be doing it, like if you're telling me you don't have five minutes in your entire day then you're just, I mean, we all have to make choices, right? So you have to give something up or decide that, yeah, this isn't important enough to me to do it. But I think, again, like, I, tr I really, like those 12 hours, it's not 12 hours straight. It's just that whenever I get five minutes, that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do. So that's what I, I do. So it's like, it's like, yeah, if you're really, really busy again, and sometimes you're just tired in those moments and you're just like, I just need five seconds for myself. Then you take that five seconds. But they're trade-offs, okay? Maybe I don't watch TV today. Maybe I do this instead. And I do that with my money. 
I do that with, I do that with everything. I just, I just, I leave space for certain things. All right. So if you're going to give yourself rest time, it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, I like to sit, they want to sit and drink wine or something, or they want to read a book, watch TV, Instagram, whatever. I'm like, okay, how much time did that take? Did you, do you, are you even aware of how much time that is? Could you have been doing that thing that you say you want to do in that time? Where is it? You have the time. You're making time for things. Yeah. I'm so glad you said this because, because people have time to be on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever. And, uh, and most people are on those things. So if you have time to post pictures, you have time to look up an article and it's right. And Mm I don't, I don't post that much. Like I kind of like, I let other people post on my behalf and I post sometimes, but I'm very like relative to my friends, at least in the rest of the world, I'm very infrequent on social media. I'd rather be living my life than either watching someone else live theirs or telling people about my life that I'm living. And all that time that I'm spending to tell you about the life I'm living, I could be doing more things. Um, and then, and then I, and I know because other people are going to document it and they're going to show people for me. So they're doing all the marketing on my behalf. That's a really good point. You were telling me before we started recording this children's project that you mm-hmm. that you're doing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So I write music for uh, a music uh, movie trailer music library. So basically, yeah, I make tracks at home and I send them off to this company, and then they take them to all the major movie companies, and they choose tracks to put in their marketing campaigns. So I make music for that. Um, So we just did a public domain uh, children's music album. So we were basically recording like uh, any public domain like children's song. So I did Mary Had a Little Lamb, London Bridge is Falling Down, and um, Frere Jacques, you know, Are You Sleeping? And yeah, so that was fun. I just made like two scary versions of uh, Frere Jacques and London Bridges. And I did like this epic, unnecessarily like over the top version of Mary Had a Little Lamb, which was deceptively hard because the song has no content. There's the same thing over and over again. I'm like, how do I stretch this material? But it was really fun. Um, I'm excited to see where it gets used. How do people find this stuff? Like, how can they connect with you? How can they find your music? That's a good question. Because some of the stuff's actually kind of hard to find now. I mean, it's getting easier now because for the most part, again, this music wasn't made for public consumption. It's like private music until it gets into a film and then it's like oh cool now it's out but if uh i think what is it the, the company's called pitch hammer music they do have a spotify playlist which has a lot of my stuff in it also through apm music if you type in apm music and randy gist a lot of my stuff will come up dna music randy gist they're uh one of our sub publishers in germany a lot of their stuff or a lot of my stuff is on their site and then my website, randroidmusic.com, has a lot of like stuff on it. If you could give one piece of advice to a person um, who's pursuing a music career, whether it's teaching, performing, uh, producing, composing, um, what would the one piece of advice be? Uh, technology does not move backwards. A lot of people bank on that, and they make. I, I've seen so many people like completely eat eat it. They're like, oh, well, you know. Like never bet against technology, never again bet against forward progress. It's going to run you over like a car. So sometimes people avoid learning like, oh, I don't like computers. You think computers are going away? You think there's going to be less of them? You think it's going to be 
less necessary to be familiar with computers. And so especially musicians, it's like, yo, if you work in music, so if you want to make money with music, then you are entering the music business. Now, if you're an educator, you're still in the music business. You're just on a different side of the music business. So again, if you're in the music business, how is music consumed? Well, it's consumed through technology. How is it created and curated? Because for most music that's being consumed by people, they didn't write it paper, pencil at a piano. I like that. I like doing that. But truthfully, it's on a computer. So if you don't know how to use Ableton, Cubase, Logic, Pro Tools, Studio One, Fruity Loops, pick your DAW, it doesn't matter. If you don't reason, if you don't know how to use these programs or any of them, GarageBand, it's free with the computer, then you're behind. You are late. Put down your music history book. That already happened. What's happening right now and, and what's happening in the future? Learn the technology. If you don't know how to use a camera, figure it out. It's not that hard. Just take the time. But it will it'll pay dividends and it will make your life exponentially easier because there's so many things that I've like I put it this way, when I moved to LA, of my hundred percent of everything I know about music, on any given day, I think I would use five percent of it at the most. Now, because I know a lot of things, I use different chunks of that one hundred, but only in five percent increments. Rarely have I had to use twenty percent of what I know. Almost never happens. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you need to learn technology more so than you need to learn about mazurkas. <laughs> no one's listening to that. No one cares about that. And the thing is, and I know you work in choral music, which is amazing and it's important. And I, I do think there's value. But I'm also just reminding people in general, try and be somewhat familiar with the music of the current time. Regardless of whether or not you like it, be familiar with it understand it understand how it works understand why people like it what is it about it instead of asking why do people like this say why do people like this and try and figure it out because those are two different questions because there's an answer and that whatever that answer is is the difference between you getting money in your pocket and you starving to death and being frustrated because there's value to everything everything's got value especially when it comes to things that are like subjective there's a value to anything as long as someone says there is. So if you can understand it, now you can connect with people. But if you're, you know, snobby or too good, then you're not going to connect with anyone. You'll be on an island all alone and you'll be the, the king or queen of your island, lonely. So try and connect with people. That's what music is about. It's not about uh, this measuring contest. It's not that. It is, it's about communication and sharing and storytelling and all these other things. And I think when you go to school for music, especially, we lose sight of that. Oh, this music's beneath me. Who are you? You're nobody, just like everyone else. And you're now you're nobody and you're alone. Oh, be humble. So if you think, yeah, mumble rap is stupid. Can you do it? Show us how easy it is. Oh, you can't even do it. How good are you? So it's, it's, a, it's a humility thing. And so I'm like, yeah, technology, be current, know what's going on in the world, appreciate and respect everything, respect everyone, be respectful. Hmm. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I love it. I love it. I'll tell you, I was really, um, I was playing this game with myself during this interview and I was listening to you, but I was wondering before we went into this, do I ask questions like how, I mean, it's obvious you've done these, these big things. 
you've performed with major names and, you know, we could name drop and stuff like that. But the thing was, I, I almost thought, do I ask you questions about any of that? But that's, I don't know. I didn't, I chose not to in the end, you know, as far as like, well, who did you really like? These were questions I thought through, right? Who was your favorite person to perform with? Who is this? But then I also, there was a weird thing about it. Like, these are people too. And I, I didn't want it to be um, exploitive in that way. For whatever it's worth to talk about a little bit of the sparkly stuff. Um, <laughs> I like how you call it the sparkly stuff. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's, it's, it's funny. I think I was the best saxophone player, technically speaking, when I was leaving Western Michigan around 2009, 2010. I was the most, I was the most practiced, most, that's what I was doing. So I was very good. I'm still very good. I was just very, 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 very good at that time. I think it's funny because then I played on Glee the first time and everybody lost their minds. And I think I was pantomiming. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I was pantomiming cause that's what the job is. And everyone's like, you're incredible. I always knew you'd be, I was like, I wasn't incredible two years ago when I was better. I'm incredible now that I'm on TV. But before that, or like whenever I do these gigs with like these major artists, like I can guarantee you the stuff I played freshman year of college was exponentially more difficult by every measurement. Things I played in high school were exponentially more difficult than, than the stuff that people ask me to do as a professional now. The only difference between the amateur and the professional, in my opinion, is that the amateur can can hit a home run sometimes and the professional has to hit a home run every time. And that's all. It's not that. Yeah, it's that. And then there's all these other things that have nothing to do with music, like professionalism, showing up on time, like having your, your stuff together. Right. So I guess what I'm saying and the reason I'm saying this, the big gigs are exactly the same as the small gigs. And how do you build a house? Brick by brick. How do you eat an elephant piece by piece? Playing in a practice room by myself versus playing in front of 100,000 people, what I have to do is exactly the same. I have to put air into the instrument, or or if I'm DJing, hit the play button, right? But I have to, the, the function is the same. Nothing has changed. No matter how many people are in front of me, behind me, on like, doesn't matter how many people are watching me do what I'm doing. I'm still doing the same thing. And so I don't, that's why I emotionally don't feel anything about some of these bigger gigs. Like I've told, when I talk to high school kids or middle school kids, I always tell them, what's the biggest gig you've ever done? I was like, I think this, talking to you, sharing this information, saving someone time. Cause I had to figure out a lot of this stuff on my own. I didn't have someone to just ask. Um, I don't know anyone else that has done my life. I don't, I don't know another me. I know people that have done similar, but not very many. And so it's like, that's why this is important to me because I'm like, I want to show people that it can be done and that you can live this way and that you can do all these things and still be healthy. You don't have to smoke. You don't have to drink. You don't have to pretend to be anything. And again, the big gigs are exactly the same as the small ones. And so like, even like when I, by the time I did played on the Grammys, like I didn't care. Cause I was like, I was like, it wasn't, it was cool. I appreciate the opportunity. It was fun. And I'm glad that it made, it makes my band directors look good. It makes my teachers look good. It makes my parents, look, it makes other people around me look good. But for me personally, I played the saxophone 
with some other people. You know, you just gave me everything that I would have hoped to have by bringing that up. I mean, that's why I, I brought all of that up is because I wanted our listeners and especially people who want to do what you do to know what it's really like and to understand why they're pursuing it, going back to purpose and going back to, you know, the why, the intention. It, it may not be very often in my life that I get to talk to somebody who can actually say what it's like to stand on stage with somebody that, you know, everyone thinks, oh my gosh, like if I could just have that, I would be happy. Wizard of Oz. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to get there and then they're going to be like, oh, you sound great. And it's like, like the number of times I've played with an artist where I'm like, I know more about music than you, but that doesn't matter. None of that matters. None of this matters. Being a nice person, like you want to know the secret? Be a nice person. Be honest. Even if it's uncomfortable, always be honest. Especially if it's uncomfortable, be honest. It's like, it's all, it's kindergarten. And that's, that's the hardest thing to get people to understand. It's like, you already learned everything you need to know about everything in kindergarten. They taught you everything. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated. But I would even say treat people better than the way you would like to be treated. And share your toys. Be nice. Be on time. Be respectful. What does that even mean? I don't know. Figure it out. But it's like, it's it's all of that stuff. And then just apply that to everything that you do as consistently as you can. And you'll find that things kind of, like people also sometimes, I think they're like expecting me to tell you like, oh, how did you do that? And I'm again, like, I don't really have an answer for you. Like these opportunities came to me because of my behavior. I don't, a lot of these opportunities, it wasn't like, oh, I went out and auditioned for this or like I applied and I competed or I did, I didn't do that. I literally sat here and I got a phone call from someone because they're like, yeah, man, you'd be great for this because you, you know, you're a nice guy and you're level-headed. I don't have to worry about you going off on, and getting drunk and getting lost on the gig and messing something up. And it's like, yeah, I came prepared and they knew that because I was prepared. So they trusted me and they took a chance. And then I did what I was, I was honest and I did what they asked me to do. I did my job. So then they said, oh, well, you did a good job here. Can I hire you for another? I say, yes. And then that's it. Like, what did I do? It's like, I didn't do anything. Like that was it. And so it's like, everyone's looking for these external answers. Well, how do I, well, maybe this person, and that's the other part, like about working with famous people. Sometimes people think like, oh, I played with this famous person. That's what I said. I'm like, well, what did that do for you? Did that famous person pay all of your bills? Did they give you all of their fame? Did they give you something like that? Like, did they rub their famous face on you and give you like famous powers? Like what happened? What was so great about that person? It's like nothing in your life has changed from this experience. So why do you want it so bad? And why do you think this is it? And so that's what I'm like trying to explain to people is like, stop making people famous. Stop glorifying or idolizing other people who are exactly the same as you are. Sometimes worse, sometimes less in so many ways. And thinking that they're somehow better because they're on TV or they're more visible or I can't see oxygen and it's really important. I know how valuable your time is and, and thank you so much for doing this. I'm just so grateful to spend time with you. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Sing Coach Conduct. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button.